what does it mean to live your best life, right? I mean, I, I was going to, I was going to, um, I got, did you guys get the picture of the meme, right? We've got one. I was going to, I was going to show a bunch of memes of stuff and some of them are, uh, some of them are way, way, way too funny. But this is one, right? When the waitress who said, I'll be right back with your sauce is walking around the restaurant living your best life, right? <laughs> right? There's thousands of those memes, right? What, and I guess the question is, is what does it mean, right? What does it mean when people say, oh, I just want to live my best life, right? Probably different for every one of us, right? What, whatever it means to live your best life is probably somehow different than what it means for me. Right? We like different things. Different things mean different, differently to us. Like there's some things that are important to you that aren't important to me. And there's things that are important to me that aren't important to you. And so living our best life includes lots of variables, lots of personal opinion and taste and things that are important. And here's what I do know. When you're trying to explain to somebody... Right, what it means to live your best life, and you've somehow got to partner with that person to help you live your best life. Sometimes it's really frustrating when you're trying to explain to them how important this this thing is to you in your in your life. Right? I mean, you can get some weird looks, right, when you're trying to explain to you why that's important. Listen, I love to drive. I I loved it when I got my license at 16. And I have never stopped loving it. My favorite, my favorite thing to do in the world is to drive. I love it. Right? It's my if if we if I have to travel, I'd rather drive than fly. I don't have a problem with flying, but man, I just get so much more enjoyment out of driving. Right? I drive in my vehicle every single day. It is my safe space. It is my prayer closet. It is my scream room. Right? My, my car is my refuge and I drive. I drive at night. I drive in the afternoon. I drive in the morning. I listen to audiobooks. I scream at other drivers. I sing rock and roll. I, you know, I, listen, I, I love it. Right? I used to be when I was managing restaurants and had multiple restaurants, I would drive and I would read, and I would read financial reports on the way to the restaurants. I mean, I, I used to drive and had a, had a stand in my passenger car with my laptop so I could use it while I was driving. I, my, my car is my office. It's my trash can. It's my, it's you name it, right? I love driving. And part of my best life, part of my best life is having the freedom to do that. Right, one of the most difficult things, this is so stupid, but one of the most difficult things in my life to do on a mission trip is not get to drive. I hate it. I absolutely feel claustrophobic when I don't have a set of keys to determine my exit strategy. I can't stand it, right? I mean, when we went to Guatemala, we stayed at a place called Sateca, it's a seminary. It's Guatemala City. It's very dangerous. Gunshots rings out through the city all night long. And yet a block and a half, two blocks from Sateca is the big golden arches lit up right down the street. There was nothing more debilitating to my soul than to every night walk the track at Sateca and feel like I was a prisoner because I couldn't go to McDonald's and get a nice coffee, right? I hated it. Went to Africa with a team. I couldn't drive. It was the worst part of the trip. 
I just, I hate that, right? So for me, driving is part of my best life. And some of you are like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, right? I couldn't explain that to you. Well, I did, and it made it worse for some of you, right? We all have, listen, we all have things like that. You could tell me, right, this, this thing is part of me living my best life. And I would look at you like, you're crazy, right? I mean, like for Joe, listen, for Joe, living his best life is all to do with the St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, all of it, right? I mean, it is like top priority for Joe in St. Louis Cardinals. That makes no sense to me, right? Zero, right? For some people, it's running, right? For some people, it's work. For some people, it's reading. For some people, it's shopping. For some people, it's family. For some, you, you name it, right? But I think, it, I think that one of the things that's true about this idea is that I don't think anybody here wants to live a life that's less than their best life. Would you agree with that? Right? Is there anybody in here that wants to live less than their best life? Anybody? No. We all want to live our best life. Right? Your kids want to. Right? And unfortunately, their best life is full of tons of pressure from social media that tells them their best life is woefully short of somebody else's best life. Right? Which is why they have so much more pressure on them today than we ever had growing up. I wanted to live my best life growing up as a poor kid with no running water in the house, but I didn't have to feel the pressure of not having running water or having an outhouse when I grew up as a kid because we lived in a world where I wasn't connected to everybody's house and everybody's indoor plumbing, and I didn't have to live with that reality, right? But today, if you don't have the right shoes, the right haircut, the right sneakers, the right AirPods, the right whatever, all of that is available to you 24-7, and your kids... Your children feel that pressure. And so the pressure to live their best life starts so much quicker than it did for us. And it lasts so much longer. And the intensity grows. And listen, adults feel it. Social media has made it possible for adults to feel like their best life stinks, right? I mean, you're celebrating your best life and compared to other people in social media, your best life is ridiculous. This person's got a soulmate and I can't even get a date, right? This person has this and I can't even get my car to run right? We, we live in that world, but here's what I know about me. And I'm assuming it's true about you. Everybody wants to live their best life. So how do we do it? How do we learn to live our best life? Because here's the thing we say all the time. Listen, if you're here in this space, if you're online with us and you're not a believer in Jesus, I'm so glad you're here, right? I wouldn't want you to be anywhere else. And I hope your experience here or online is one that's blessed and that you feel welcomed and loved and people are kind to you. But if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're online and a follower of Jesus, then what does it mean as a Christian to live your best life? And part, listen, part of that is why we struggle so much in the church, because as Joe has said, and as Pastor Ben is preaching through on Tuesday, the authority, the authority that once existed in this book to tell Christians how to live has been undermined now to where this book has very little authority in helping us determine what our best life should look like. We don't, we don't believe that here. We believe in that book. We believe in its integrity. We believe in its validity. We believe in its claims, that it's God's word, infallible.
God used biblical writers inspired by the Spirit to write God's perfect will down in this book. And it has, listen, no book in human history has ever, ever had more evidence to prove its validity than the Bible. I mean, the number and the amount of evidence to suggest that this book is true is beyond compare. And yet people, mainly Christians today, don't buy its validity or its authority. Listen, I'm going to preach from it because I believe that our best life is found in here, right? That's found in this, in this process. And so we're going to take three weeks and we're going to talk about three pillars to build this, this concept on, right? There's three pillars that I believe biblical pillars that allow you and I to build our best life on. And the first one we're going to talk about is the pillar of love, pillar of love, right? I'm going to show you a picture of my grandson. He's one year old now. And this is, uh, yeah, hard to believe. This is my grandson. Did you guys get that picture? Right? There he is. Yeah. So there's Owen Cooper, right? Owen is, uh, well, he's just a good looking kid, man, right? That's him on his, uh, that's him right at his one year old birthday. Man, he's styling, ain't he? Right? So here's Owen's one, and he's walking. And he's not talking yet, makes a lot of noise, right? But walking one-year-olds are curious, right? Because you can get to spaces and places walking that he couldn't get to crawling, that he can walking, right? And so Owen, at one-year-old, is now getting into places and spaces grandparents don't want him in. And parents don't want him in, right? We don't want, I don't want him poking his finger, right, in the dog's face, right? I don't want him walking up to Sophie and pulling her hair, right? I don't want him sticking his finger in what he perceives to be something fun and it's a light socket, right? I don't want him taking his hands and slamming them against the glass plates in a door in our house. So guess what? I now have to say this word to him. No. Right? And I love it. He'll smack his hand on the glass window and I'll say, Owen, no. And he looks at me and just smiles. Just smiles. Right? And so here's what Owen's going to learn or begin to learn over the next few weeks and months that he's going to have to endure over the next 17 years of his life with his mother and father. That love, love says no. And here's what he's going to say. Same thing you said, same thing I said, same thing your kids said at times, right? Well, if you love me, you just let me do that. Or you'd let me hang out with that person. Or you'd just let me go there. Right? Because we have this impression about love that it should come without restrictions. We say things like this. Man, if you love me, you'll just love me the way I am. Right? you love me the way I am. Come on, man. We're smarter than that, right? Listen, we love people. Right? We love them in spite of who they are. But our love, hopefully, is designed to help people 
change and get better, right? Owen is going to learn that his, that the same love, the same love that we get up at three in the morning and feed him a bottle and change his diaper, right? Is going to be the same love that looks at him and says, no, you can't do that. And so here's what happens for Christian people. We're told things like this. Let me read a couple passages. First Corinthians 13, 13 says this. Hopefully these, these, uh, verses are in a, in a, on a piece of paper that you've got with some notes and, and online as well. They're available through the Bible app. If you want to, if you want to look at them through that, here's what it says. Paul writes this. Now these three remain. Let's read this together. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, listen, if love's the greatest thing, it should be the first pillar we build our best life on, right? How about this verse in 1 John 4, 8? It's connected to our walk of faith. Whoever doesn't love God, whoever doesn't love, period, doesn't know, right? That's what the Bible says. If you don't love, you don't know God. I don't care how moral you are, how many mission trips you go on, or how much money you give. If love isn't in you, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faith, right? If, if love isn't there, if love doesn't, if love keeps track of no wrongs, right? If love isn't selfish and self-seeking, if love is all of those things, if you don't have that love, bring that verse back up, it says this, you don't know God because God is, God is love. So for me, the first pillar of building, building our best life is understanding that that first pillar for us is the love of God. Right? Because listen, you and I are never going to build our best life without love in it. You know that's true. You know it's true as a human. Right? I mean, listen, one of the greatest fears that every human experiences, every human experiences, is wondering whether somebody loves them. Would you agree with that? Right? Listen, nobody, nobody wants to live in a world where they don't know whether somebody loves them or not. It's our, one of our greatest fears. Right? Children want to know somebody loves them. And children who are neglected, abused by their parents, orphaned by their parents, want it even more. Right? We want it in relationships. Right? I mean, at the end of the day, you can hook up to the dating app all you want and swing right or swing left or whatever you do. But we're all looking for the same thing. Is there somebody out there who loves us? Because on a human level, here's what we know. Love matters, right? Knowing that somebody loves you makes a difference. Can I get an amen? Right? It matters to you. It matters to me. It matters to our children. It matters to everybody, right? We believe at some level, living our best life means learning to love somebody or somebody loving us, right? And we live in a world, the world outside of this book and God's standards, right? Where we are dealing with all kinds of identity crisis for people about their sexuality, about who I can and I can't love, about learning how to love myself and being true to myself. Right? I watched the special on Dwayne Wade, a retired NBA basketball player who played with the Miami Heat the most of his life. And there was a two-hour special about Dwayne Wade. And he has, a, he, has a, he has a child who's struggling with sexual identity, boy or girl. And his child finally came out and now identifies as a girl. 
right? And basically what she said, sitting in a golf cart with her dad is, basically what she said is, how can you live your best life when you can't even be who you say you are, right? And here's the thing, outside, you take that concept outside of a sexual identity crisis, everybody believes the same thing. We all believe that to live our best life, we have to be who we are. Would you agree with that? Right? We're living in a world where that question is being asked at eight years old. It's being asked at 10. It's being asked at 12. It's being asked at 14, 16, 18. It's being asked at 40. Right? Does anybody love me? Is anyone going to love me for who I am? Right? Because every human knows that to have your best life, love, has to be a part of it. It has to be. I mean, our story as humans is littered. I mean, littered with disastrous choice after choice by humans, all in attempt to find love. All in an attempt to find love. People who have, we call them daddy issues. They're just children that have been that have been starved for affection, right? I mean, listen, I loved, the, loved my dad. He was, he was a load. I don't remember my dad ever telling me he loved me, ever. I just don't remember it. I remember my dad beating me, right? I remember getting lots of lectures. I remember dad playing baseball with me and taking me to get ice cream and going to the drive-in, but I don't ever remember him saying he loved me, Right? And I don't know if it, I don't know what it did to me or didn't do to me, but I just know as a father, I can't imagine not saying that to your child. Just can't imagine it, right? Because the words mean something to us. And so for, for followers of Jesus, listen, for followers of Jesus, building your best life, first and foremost, has to be built on the love of God because the greatest of these is love. So what is God's love? Let's go through Let's go through some of these identifying markers that I, I hope can help you learn. Listen, let's be clear here. Living your best life isn't always getting what you want. Right? Can we agree about that? And not, <laughs> not always getting what we want is a hard thing to accept. Right? I mean, <laughs> you guys, I feel sorry for you, but... You have to you ha- you have to listen to me, right? I, I'm a I'm a I'm a late night person. I don't even I rarely eat during the day. I don't even start thinking about eating till about five or six o'clock at night, and then it's like I have my three my, my three meals from six p.m. to two a.m. Right? So, yeah, yeah. Let me just tell you, this is not a great pattern. Okay. So about midnight. I wanted waffles, right? Because I'm going to be honest with you, in my head last night, my best life included watching the Pelicans and the Lakers that I had recorded on TNT with waffles, right? My brain said that's my best life. And listen, here's what happens sometimes. You, you get what you want, and when you're done getting what you want, you're sitting in your recliner and it's the third quarter and your belly hurts because you're like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, right? Because sometimes that's not your best life. Here's the thing about God's love. Here's the thing about God's love. First and foremost, God's love is protective. It's protective. 
right? Harmony was three, maybe four. And we were in Kansas in the middle of nowhere visiting friends of ours. Friends of ours that were in ministry had moved from the church that, that we were attending to Tyro, Kansas. Tyro is a little bitty town on a highway. And so we went to his parents' house and met them there. And on, so there's an there's a east-west highway. Their house set on the, right off the highway. There's a gravel road that runs north and south and tees at the highway. And then on the other side of the road is their barn, their farm area. So we were, we were, I'm on the porch at the house, swinging in a swing. Carmen and Harmony and Cana and Jennifer, who was the daughter-in-law, and I don't know whoever, were over at the barn. All of a sudden, their big dog comes running out of the barn. And my daughter freaked out, panic-stricken, right? Because this dog started doing what dogs do running at her. So as three-year-old, four-year-old, she starts running toward me, right? Which means she has to cross the gravel road. Unfortunately, we could hear the car coming down the gravel road. We could hear it and it was flying. Because if you've ever driven in the country on a gravel road, it's about how quickly you can traverse it, right? And so here it comes, you can hear it and harmony is I mean, in full panic mode, running to the porch where I'm sitting. And we're screaming like crazy. Stop. Stop. We are screaming at her like crazy. People are sprinting. I'm jumping off the porch. She, she is ignoring us. And she is running headlong to the gravel road where the car is flying by. She never stopped. She ran into the gravel road and the car that was flying hit her in the face with the side mirror and cut it as it went driving by. That's the close she came to being killed. Honest to God, to this day, scariest moment of my life. I just, I can't even tell it without having sweaty palms and a palpitating heart. It's the most terrifying thing of my life. And here's what our love for her compelled us to do for that time, however many seconds it was. All our love could do was say, stop, stop. Because at the core of love, let's be honest, at the core of love, there has to be an element of protection, right? God has this, God has this reputation among so many people, even in the church. God didn't want us to do anything fun, right? All God cares about is all these stinking rules. And listen, part of that is our fault in church because we made people believe that's all God cares about. Listen, God didn't care about that. What God cares about is this, that lost people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? That's why Jesus came. Listen, Jesus didn't come to make you a, a sinless human being on the earth. God's already made sure that you are a sinless human being and perfect in God's eyes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? So we celebrate in communion. So we celebrate in worship. We're not celebrating you and how great your performance is because we know what your performance is. It stinks. Right? It stinks. And the only time we're ever proud of ourselves is when we think we're doing well. Where's our flags and our self-promotion when we stink? It's not there. Right? The reality is, is that what Jesus came for was to die for sinners. And the church has been led here to tell people that great news. Right? That's what we're here for. God's love 
has an element of protection in it. Because your love for the people that you care about has an element of protection in it as well. Would you agree with that? How many of you ever got told no as a child? How many of you have ever told a child or a grandchild no? Right? How many of you have ever told your kids, I don't want you hanging out with that person? Right? How many of you have ever told your kids, I don't want you to watch that movie? Right? How many of you have ever said to your kids, listen, I don't want you to drive and text? Right? Why do we say those? Not very many people in here. That concerns me, right? (laughs) Why do we do that? Because we know this, that if we truly love somebody, there has to be an element of what? Everybody say protection. Love protects. It just does, right? I mean, if, if you say you love something and you don't have any idea, any desire to protect it, do you really love it? Because that's not love. Here's what, let me read a couple of verses. First John 3, 1. Listen to this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called what? Children of God. That's what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it did not know him. You know what it means to be loved by a father? Not an earthly father who's imperfect, but a father in heaven who knows us as his children. Sometimes, because of his love for us, he has to say why? He has to say no. That doesn't make God bad, and that doesn't make God unfair, and that doesn't make God anti-fun. Because if it does... You and I wear that moniker with the people we love all the time. And here's the thing. We're okay with it. Be mad at me if you want, child. I don't care because I love you and I don't want you to do that. Yes? Right? Why is it when God says no, we point our finger and go, you don't want me to have any fun. Right? That's not love. You should love me the way I am. Well, he does. And you should be grateful for that. But God's love also, listen, we're talking about living our best life. Living our best life means sometimes the love of God says what? Says no. How about, how about this verse? 1 John 4, 18. Listen, we read this one in worship. Everybody read it with me. There is no fear in love. Why? Because complete or perfect love drives out the fear because fear has to do with what? Punishment. The one who fears is not made complete or perfect in love. Listen, part of the protective nature is God of God's love is to drive out our fear. Listen, it, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to find Christians who are so willing to say, listen, I want to trust Jesus to get me to heaven from this place. But I'm not going to trust Jesus to drive out my fear and know that no matter who I am and what I'm like, God's love is going to protect me and I don't have to be afraid of God. It breaks my heart. How can you have so much faith that God can get you to heaven, a place you've never seen, and not trust God to drive out your fear because you don't have to be afraid of Him because yesterday was a really bad day? And do you know how many Christian people over the centuries come to church every week scared to death that God is going to punish them like crazy? Right? We're looking at stupid things like, oh, I had a flat tire today. God must be punished me. What did I do wrong? Right? I lost my job today. God must be punished me. What did I do wrong? Right? And we're fearful all the time when in reality God's love is so for us. He calls us children and says, I want my love for you to be so complete in you that you never fear me because fear is motivated by my punishment. Does that make sense to you, church? We should never be afraid of God. No matter what we're like or who, what, what we struggle with or what we fail at. Because God's love drives out that fear. Listen, there is always an element of protection in love. 
Listen, if you say you love somebody and you don't care to protect them at all, I'm not sure that you love them. And many of you have experienced somebody saying they love you and didn't protect you. And you know exactly what that love felt like. It felt like a lie. It felt like a lie. Because nobody feels love when love doesn't protect. God's love protects. God's love drives out fear. God's love holds us close as children. Right? That, listen, that component allows you and I to live our best life. But God's love is powerful too. It's powerful. Listen, I asked my best friend, what's the craziest thing you've ever, I asked him, I said, what's the craziest thing you've ever done to express love? Because let me just read a couple of verses here to show you, lend you to what I'm talking about, right? So John 3, 16 says this, for God so loved the world that he what? His, he, didn't, he didn't just give, he gave what? His one and only Listen, love makes us do crazy things. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? So I asked my friend, what's the craziest thing you've ever done out of love? (laughs) My friend said to me, I loved a child that wasn't mine like it was my own. I was like, I know that story. My friend was married had two kids. His wife came to him, confessed that she'd had a relationship outside of her marriage. And it ended it. She was pregnant. The gentleman that she had the affair with was not American. He was foreigner. She didn't tell. She didn't tell my friend that there was a possibility that child wasn't his. And he went into the delivery room with his wife, expecting to usher in his third child into their family. And when the child was born, the child was a foreigner. It was a massive shock. It, It nearly crushed his spirit to find out that the third child that took on his last name wasn't really his. She was the result of an affair with somebody who wasn't American. And it was clear in her birth that she was foreign. My friend, because he loved that girl, gave that girl his last name and raised that little girl like she was his own daughter. And today, she still calls him dad. He said, that's the craziest thing I've ever done for love. And I thought... That works, right? So here's the thing about God's love. It isn't just protective. It's also powerful. It makes God so crazy for us that he took his one and only son and gave him up for us. Listen, every time I take that cup on the weekend to observe communion... The only thing I can think of is that God's love was so great for me that he accepted Jesus's offer to pay my debt in blood for me. That's crazy. I mean, let's be honest. How many of you would literally die today for somebody else? 
that list is small, right? I mean, that list is incredibly small, if even existent. And yet God's love for us is so powerful, it allowed him to give up his son for us. To the point that his son cried out to him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? Because love makes us do crazy things. And listen, let's be honest, as humans, the crazier the better, right? I mean, we love it. Listen, if somebody says they love us, listen, let's be honest. Some of us are the kind of people that if you say you love, if you say you love us, if you just consistently do the same thing over and over again, we should just get it, right? You know, my, my dad was raised in the generation. Listen, if I got up and I went to work every day and I put food on the table and kept the lights on and gave you a house and gave you a car, you should never ask me if I love you because my life says I love you, right? Right? That's the way my dad was, right? And some of you are still built that way. Listen, some of you are fine. As long as the lights turn on in the morning, as long as the fridge has got milk in it, right? As long as there's heat when it's cold, right? You're good. I'm good. Somebody loves me. But for the rest of us, we like Marvel comic night, right? Right? We want, we want Disneyland, right? We want the people who love us to do incredibly extravagant gestures, right? We want, listen, we're so ridiculous, right? We live in a world today where people who are asking someone to marry them have a party of people go with them to take pictures and go to dinner and celebrate. Listen, our children and grandchildren are insane, right? It's crazy. Why? Because we want people to do crazy Marvel comic Disneyland kind of things to prove to us what? That they what? They love us. Write me a song. Read me a poem. Take me on an extravagant trip. Right? Cook me a candlelight dinner. Right? You never walk with me on the beach. Right? We never go anywhere or do anything together. What are we saying? You're not showing me the extent of the power of love. You want to live your best life? Understand this. God's love drove him to give up the most precious thing in the world to him for you. The most precious thing. Listen, you may have grown up in a house with no running water and an outhouse and a dad that never said I love you. But my heavenly father did not treat me that way. My heavenly father said, Cord, you have so much value and worth to me. I'm going to give up the most precious thing in the world for you. Because here's what it says in John 3, 16. Let's bring that verse back up. It said this. He said, God loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever just believes, just believes, right? Is persuaded in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. Why? Because God's love didn't send the son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come with condemnation. Jesus died under condemnation for you. Jesus didn't bring condemnation for you. Jesus took your condemnation away. And you want to know why he did? Because God's love drove him there. Listen, you can't live your best life without God's love. Because God's love protects. It calls you children and drives out your fear. Right? It, listen, if you're a parent who loves your children, grandparent who loves their children, and if you hear your children or grandchildren express fear... Doesn't it just at some level just break your heart to know they're afraid, right? Listen, God's love is such that his protection is such that we never have to be afraid. I don't know about you, but that's going to help me live my best life. 
And God's love is so powerful that I never have to worry about whether he's going to be extravagant with it. He gave me his son. He gave me his son to take my condemnation so I never have to feel it. Galatians 2.20 says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Jesus lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the son of God who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Right? God's love is protective. I'm so grateful it is. Right? God's love is powerful. Man, it drives us to extravagance. How, how about this one? Romans 5.8. God demonstrates. Right? In the Greek, it's a verb with a one-time action with continuing results. God's love demonstrates. Happened once, demonstrates forever. His own love for us in this. God didn't say to you and to me, listen, my love is extravagant, but here's the deal. You've got to earn it. You want me to give my son to you, then you better be worth my extravagance. Because listen, isn't that what we do? Right? I mean, if we want to do something great for somebody we love, we have, few, we have some expectations that go with it, right? I mean, it's, it's hard as a human, let's be honest, people. It's hard as a human to do something extravagant for somebody else and not have a little bit of expectation of how we think they should respond to it. Can I get a, you're right. Right? We just do. That's why we're so disappointed all the time, right? We do these things and our spouses or our children or our boyfriends or our girlfriends or our friends respond terribly. And we're like, I ain't never doing that again. Right? Well, why won't you? Because last time I did it 14 and a half years ago, right, 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 right? Why? Because as humans, we only know how to give extravagant gifts with expectations on the other side. And yet, the Bible says love doesn't seek its own. Right? It doesn't do that. It considers others more important. And here's the great thing about God's love. God's love wasn't given to you, and it isn't given to the girl or the boy who's struggling with sexual identity crisis. It's not given to the adult who has a porn addiction. It's not given to any of you who have your secret sins and struggles, or any of us that have them, based upon our earning it or our our procuring it by doing the right things, God's love is demonstrated to us in that while we were unworthy, Christ died for us. Right? I mean, listen, how many of you have known the love of somebody that was only given when you earned it? Yeah. And you know what that kind of love says? It says it's a lie says it's a lie. And there are people all over our churches trying to live their best life because they are trying to measure human love as a way to build their own best life. Listen, you ain't never going to get that from us. But God's promised to give it to you no matter what. Last one, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were unworthy because it's grace, a gift, you've been saved. Listen, part of your best life, I guarantee you your child's best life, your grandchild's best life, your, your enemy's best life, your neighbor's best life, specifically our best life, has to be built upon the idea that God's love is protective. God's love is 
powerful, and God's love perseveres. 50% of marriages, first marriages, end in divorce. It don't matter if they're Christian or not. That's what the stats say. 62% of second marriages end in divorce. Doesn't matter if you're Christian or not. 74% of third marriages end in divorce. That tells me that people who at one point in time declared their love for each other ran out of love for that other person. Our church is full of those people. Whether it's this campus, Palm Bay's campus, Deland's campus, whether it's our online community, our church is full of people who once stood somewhere beautiful in the world, across from somebody else who said, I declare my unlove and my undying loyalty and love to you for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health. And then they've ended up divorced. You want to know why? Because humans have limits. Right? We have we have limits. Our love has limits. So we start over. And we look for somebody else to love us again. Another limited human being we're trying to build our best life on who has limits, has expectations, unreasonable at times, unmanageable at times. And so do we. Some of you are sitting in a world where you're no longer in a relationship with somebody you declared your love for because your love had a limit. Listen, parents, parents have cut off ties with children at times because their love has limits. Children have exercised the demons of terrible parents because their love had limits, right? Because here's what we know. At the end of the day, our greatest fear in love is this, that a person who says they love us will stop. Let us stop one day. And listen, that fear, that fear, of worrying about whether somebody's love will eventually run out is what drives most people to some really unhealthy behaviors, right? It's why we counsel people. It's why we encourage people. It's why we try to connect people in groups because it's a real thing for a lot of people. Listen, if we measured the hurt, if we measured or could measure the hurt in our services on weekends, on all of our campuses and our online communities because somebody is sitting in our midst and they are the consequence of somebody else's love running out, I would bet you the amount of pain would be overwhelming if we could feel it and know it. And I bet if we measured the fear <laughs> in our spaces of people who were scared to death every minute of their day that somebody who's declared their love for you will eventually stop, we'd be overwhelmed. How do you build your best life based on that human love? You can't. But God's love has no end. Listen to these verses. Psalm 136, 26. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures. Come on, say it forever. How about this one? Romans 8, 37 through 39. Know in all these things, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Paul writes, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future, 
nor any powers, neither height, neither height nor depth, nor anything. Any, everybody say anything. Right? Everybody online, everybody here say anything. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, we, we, have, we have so made God's love so cheap and so human that we are convinced and have convinced a generation of people that if you are a sinner as a Christian, God might not love you. He wants to damn you to hell. And God's love is so great that nothing in all creation will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen, church? Nothing. Listen, it is impossible to build our best life on the greatest of these, which is love, when we made God love such a terrible thing. God says no. Get over it. Listen, anybody who's loved you has said no. And anybody that you've loved, you've said no to. God isn't any different, right? God's love's powerful. Listen, some of you are going to live your life disappointed because you have set the bar of what love should surrender way too high, right? If you're looking for Disneyland every Friday night on a date, if you're looking for Avenger Comics every night when you're together, right? If you're looking for the next best thing, you're always going to be disappointed. But here's the thing. God's love is so extravagant. It not only gave the most important thing, it gave it to you when you were unworthy. And here's the thing about God's love. It has no limits. None. Psalm 36 verse 7 says this. How priceless is your unfailing love, O oh God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. I don't think there's anything in the world more powerful than God's love for us. And I don't think there's anything we've dummied down to a human level as much as God's love is for us. Listen, living our best life means living in the luxury, in the lap of God's love for us. It's protective, it's powerful, and thank you, Jesus, it's never-ending. Let's pray. Father, I just want to... I just want us to live in that truth. I want us to, to stop pinning our human knowledge on an infinite, eternal God who says, my love is unfailing. My love is never ending. And nothing in all creation will ever separate us from that love in Jesus Christ. So God, help us build our best life. Our best life gives you your greatest glory. And your greatest glory is always our best life. But it can't start without love. You say to us, you say to us that love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things. Because love never fails. I'm grateful that we have a God whose love never fails. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church.